begins now. Capital 263. Welcome to Politics and Beyond. My name is Upenyu Makone Matenga. I got rid of those two other guys and I brought in a new guy, Takura Jangaja. Um, Takura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> a little bit. I have lots to say. Um, I'm a blogger, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm an activist. Uh, I'm a social democrat. If you guys understand what that means, basically means I believe uh, the state should always have a role in society, provision of social services, provision of um, uh, transport, water, and the state should create an enabling environment where people are allowed to be innovative, inventive, but essentially everybody's given a fair start and a fair chance at making it in life. I don't really support uh, capitalism or, or neoliberalism. Oh. But uh, I'm an activist, I'm a human rights activist. I've been an activist uh, all of my adult life. And if I'm allowed to live long or longer, ah. I'll continue doing the same. Where do you blog? On my blog. Uh, just Google my name, takurajangaja.blogspot.com. There you go. Yeah. So this week we have a number of topics to talk about. And we brought in Takura because, well, I mean, he's an expert. Sort of. <laughs> sort of expert. Um, so let's start with the incident that happened in Santon with my doctor, my Grace Mugabe, um, who traveled for a foot treatment to see her sons um, and in a hotel in Santon. She allegedly assaulted a 20-year-old girl named Gabriella Ingalls. There were two other girls present who have not been as vocal about that incident. Um, and after some, I think everybody is familiar with what happened, but after some negotiation, Afri Forum, an Africana lobby group, became involved and they brought in Jerry Nell, who prosecuted the Oscar Pistorius case, um, to also pursue this case with Gabriella Engels. Uh, subsequent to that, she was also granted diplomatic immunity. Um, and she was allowed to leave South Africa. There was a lot of back and forth between the South African government and I believe the Zimbabwean government. But later on, she was declared to be part of the Zimbabwe delegation to the SADC summit. So what, what do you think about the declaring, first of all, of diplomatic immunity? Well, it was expected, essentially because um, international relations tend to trump international law it's not a pun. I mean, like, they defeat. <laughs> I, mean, I know I said Trump, but I don't mean <laughs> the American president. International relations is largely about political interests and relationships between countries, governments, to be specific. And in this case, not giving a diplomatic immunity would have severely strained Zimbabwe's relations with South Africa or South Africa's relations with Zimbabwe, mainly because it's the political considerations that matter more than the legal considerations. That's why in international relations studies, there's always um, that phrase where it says there are no permanent uh, friends, friends. Only permanent interests. There you go. Right. But what are South Africa's? Because for me, the question is, in terms of rule of law, the way I see it, and this is not necessarily a legal perspective, is that there was an infringement of the law. Gabriella Ingalls was assaulted. And to, to declare that this case cannot be um, pursued is an infringement of South Africa's own domestic laws. So I hear what you're saying, but what are, is Zimbabwe that big of a friend to South Africa? We are very big. We are one of the largest trading partners in the region. Mm-hmm. And they also have interests in mining as well as um, uh, uh, some agricultural interests in the country. So definitely we are, we are that important as an economic uh, strategic partner. Uh, and in, in any event, go to any Zimbabwean supermarket, the majority of goods there or commodities are, are South African made, mm. despite the fact that we've tried to st- sort of slow down or reduce the number of uh, South African goods into our, coming into our supermarkets. Mm-hmm. So we are that important. But on the legal question, I think uh, Afri Forum has, indicated that it is going to court with the matter. Yes. And therefore, perhaps that question will be answered by the South African courts, whether it was correct or legal. Mm. But politically, that question has been answered. Yes. The, the incident was not going to compromise Zimbabwe-South Africa relations. And that was a government decision by the South African government. Mm. 
Well, um, following the decision to grant Mayimgabe a diplomatic community, Maitengoana Mashabane has been summoned um, by the parliamentary, what we call it a parliamentary portfolio committee here, on foreign relations to answer questions about diplomatic community. So we wait, we watch, we see. Yeah, I don't expect much though. You don't think anything is going to happen from that? The only thing that might change the dynamics of this case is the court process. But in terms of parliament, yeah, there'll be publicity. In fact, the whole incident is going to play itself out for a long time. Mm. Mainly because of either assumed hostility towards the First Lady of Zimbabwe by the media or global media. Yes. Or generally because it's an interesting case. It, I mean, it anybody is. would be curious about a First Lady of a country going to another country and trying to rescue allegedly their sons and so on and so on. <laughs> it's an interesting case. So there's going it to be is. a lot of publicity. But I don't think the politics around it will change. Oh. The, the Zimbabwe or South Africa Zimbabwe relations, uh, economic mm -hmm. and political, mm -hmm. as well as historical, are too important. Oh. And then, following from or included in the fallout from the incident, Afri Forum is representing a group of farmers who are suing President Robert Mugabe, specifically the government of Zimbabwe, for compensation for the land that were they were dispossessed of in the early 2000s. Do you think, I mean, there's been a number of these cases over there since about 2002, I believe. Do you think that this one has any greater chance of succeeding versus the other ones that have come through the courts? Well, they're citing um, the now dissolved, but then now sort of reconstituted SADC tribunal, which gave a judgment in their favor around compensation and so on and so on. So eventually it will again end up being more political than it is legal, mm. especially enforceability. Because if you're going to go to international platforms, whether legal or otherwise, it's still uh, a decision of the host or the country that you're targeting to comply with whatever judgment comes out. This is true. So, and, and unless, of course, somebody declares war on your behalf or something <laughs> like that. But, but, but essentially, um, it's going to end up the same way. It will be in the media for a long time, even if they get whatever platforms they're going to approach for compensation, even if they get a ruling after, obviously, a prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it will be enforceable within Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. uh, they might seek to attach something somewhere or, or like they did uh, previously, they attached yes. the house in Cape Town. Yes. So I, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's the same format. It is the same format. It's a lot of talk and not a lot of um, meaningful action, as it were. No, but I think for the, for, the, for the farmers, it's meaningful because they're saying they're seeking justice and they have platforms to seek that justice. Mm -hmm. And for the Zimbabwean government, depending on who is in government, but let's just say for the ruling parties, right. it also sort of makes them a bit more, I would say, stubborn mm -hmm. about the fast-track land reform program mm -hmm. and say, look, all these uh, white farmers want to take back the land again. We were correct. And then it strengthens their nationalist discourse in Zim. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, obviously gives them a, a bit more willpower to say all along the enemy is always trying to get to us and so on and so on. So either way, the political uh, games will continue. Everything changes, yet it remains the same, it seems. Let's move on to Angola. Jose Eduardo de Santos, the country's longtime leader, announced in December 2016 that he was going to step down. He... Um, in terms of succession, he nominated his Minister of Defense, then Joao Loronco, to become his successor. The election happened on the 23rd of August, a couple of days ago, and preliminary results from the count say 65% of the vote has been counted, and they say that the MPLA, the ruling party, has won. In terms of dictatorships or long-standing African leaders, you, we were talking about this earlier. Is he the longest? He's not the longest serving one. No, the longest serving is uh, uh, the Equatorial Guinea president, uh, Theodore. I mean, let me see. Theodore Obiang Nguema. Nguema. Yeah. Yes. So he's maybe the third longest serving? Uh, second. Second longest. Still. Yeah. <laughs> by a couple, I think they beat each other by a couple of months. A few months. Yeah. So it's like a thing now. I don't think it's a thing. But <laughs> It must be a thing. They must have a party somewhere and be like, well, Dad, you made it to 38 years. The, the common thing between the, the two of them would be oil. Ah, yeah. yes. And, yes. and that they're coastal nations. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm 
Mm-hmm. Well, actually, there's a number of issues arising from, or a number of interesting um, aspects to look at. In terms of, for instance, the Dos Santos family wealth, Isabella Dos Santos is the richest woman in Africa, for instance. Yep. And um, a few days ago, I was reading an article about what happens to the Dos Santos wealth, um, family wealth, after Dos Santos has stepped down and he has stopped ensuring that the family's assets are protected, as it were. But I think that's sort of answered in him and pointing a successor. Yeah, it's, it's always a problem with long-serving presidents. Mm. And where they also double in business and the family expands its network and empire. Yes. And succession politics, when they come into play, it's always about how do we protect the family business? How do we keep the family businesses going mm-hmm. beyond our father or our mother being in, in the presidency? And it's a common theme. Uh, even in Equatorial Guinea, the the president's son uh, is also involved in businesses as a case pending in France or actually a trial ongoing in France mm. around corruption charges and driving Ferraris and so on and so on. So, so it's um, long-serving rulers always tend to come to that particular problem of how do you protect your, your assets mm. in the event of your departure mm-hmm. and then that then affect who they think should succeed them mm-hmm. and, and, and why even. And always conditionalities, you can investigate, you can do this, you can do that, especially if you're a successor. Mm. But if we bring that home in terms of how do you ensure the future of your assets, um, and then also in terms of Maim Gabe's, uh the third vice presidency, the creation of a third vice presidency, the, the you know, you must appoint, you must name a successor now. And Mugabe, Mugabe has actually been very consistent for the past, I don't know how long, saying the people will choose my successor. How do you think that will play out here? Do you think Mai Mugabe is likely to become the next president of this country? Uh, Zanopi of politics at the moment is not very predictable. Mm. But um, given the way things are playing out, there will be resistance to her assuming the presidency uh, within the ruling party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, either way, normally the ruling party tries to uh, resolve, in quotation marks, its problems via Congress. Mm-hmm. So it's whoever turns out, turns out to be the stronger in terms of grassroots support within the ruling party at an envisaged uh, Congress that will likely succeed. I don't think her intention is to be the president but to be a king or king or queen maker. Ah, to be the one who anoints the anointed one. Yeah, sort mm. of. Hmm. Would that help it in, in protecting the assets? Well, if you put someone in power, you have the power behind the throne. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, it's a strategy that I think she's keen on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, everything is a bit speculative, so. Yeah, at, the, at this point, there's really no, <laughs> there's no evidence <laughs> yeah, un- until some congress occurs. But the indications that uh, at, a, at a women's meeting at the ruling party headquarters mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. that uh, the, uh, President Mugabe is thinking about uh, a third uh, vice president of the yes. ruling party and also of the country. And that, that would essentially require a congress or a constitutional amendment to the Zanopi of constitution. Mm-hmm. And if it then translates into the country's constitution, it will require a constitutional amendment of the country's constitution. So it's all speculative. It's least likely to come through without, again, internal party resistance. Mm. But I do not think the succession issue will split Zanupiv down the middle, no. No. I think they'll, at some point, then agree to call a spade a spade. <laughs> <laughs> and then just be like, let's be friends. <laughs> or, uh, and again. Then, and then they'll be like, let's win. Yes. Yeah, Isn't that always the common purpose? Yeah. Yeah, to stay in power element. and then fight. Yes, and then fight afterwards. But yeah. as long as you've maintained your presence. Yeah. But looking also, I, I disagree with you, though, to some extent, because looking at how constitutional amendment number one was pushed through parliament very, very quickly, despite the um, large amount of debate that happened in the public space about it. Well, not large. It was, you know, mm-hmm. there were some noises from certain quarters. Um, I do think that an amendment to the Constitution in those terms, I think, will sail through with the same relative amount of ease. Well, the only difference is that there won't be a united ruling party behind it. No. Because you need a two-thirds majority in Parliament Mm -hmm. to amend certain sections of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And that basically means you need all 
at least 80 to 90 percent of all ZANU PF legislators in the House of Assembly to be available to vote. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure they're there to vote. Or they might not even vote in favor if they're there. So, mm. so it's not as easy. This one was relatively easy because it wasn't about power directly. Mm -hmm. I mean, appointing judges, yeah. But it doesn't affect the power dynamics within the ruling party yeah. directly. Currently. Yeah. Currently. So let's move on to Kwese TV. Barely a day after Econet Wireless Zimbabwe announced that customers can now subscribe to the new Kwese TV service, the Broadcasting Authority of Zimbabwe has released a statement saying that Kwese TV is not yet licensed to operate in the country. This raises many issues in terms of, first of all, did they apply for a license? Second of all, if they did apply for a license and they were issued one, why does Baz now not withdraw the license if it was issued in the first place? And, I mean, there are many interests at play here, including Transmedia's own interest in multi-choice. How do you read this one? Well, I don't think Quest TV actually applied for a license. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they were going to use someone else's license to sort of uh, get a digital, sorry, a satellite uh, television broadcasting uh, license. And then Buzz has denied that. And also because I think in terms of the, of the law, you can't really do that. Mm. Or you'd need permission from the broadcasting authority to sort of lease out a license or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they have a locus standi mm -hmm. at law to say you're denying us what you gave us. Yes. So I think because if they had, they would have gone to court. And they're Already. Quick, and they're quick to go to court. Yes. So I think they were trying something out that um, they sort of probably had not necessarily all the papers, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're keen on, on taking advantage of an opportunity that arose, a business arrangement mm -hmm. that arose. And, and I don't think it, it panned out the way they wanted it to. Did you think, do you think in making the announcement before licensing, allegedly, um, they were trying to push Baz's hand? No, they were just taking a chance. They were being opportunistic. Oh. I, I don't think um, um, they were trying to play politics because... The broadcasting authority is the legal authority, mm. and, and it, there are rules around it. I, do, I thoroughly disagree with the rules. Uh, I think they're yeah. undemocratic and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I don't think they, they would take that risk because TV is very expensive. Yes. It's, very, it's different from radio, mm -hmm. especially satellite TV because you have to get rights to broadcast international sports, so you pay a lot of mm. money. And also you have to pay for the channel that you broadcast on and the, yeah. 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 So that's, that's the catch. So it's not in, uh, a fly-by-night investment. It's serious. Mm -hmm. So I think someone somewhere made a mistake. Um, I, I wouldn't really say I was going to welcome <laughs> Crescent TV. Or Why not? Because I'm worried about media monopolies. I'm, uh -huh. I'm, I'm worried about the lack of media diversity, especially in terms of content as influenced by ownership. Mm -hmm. And we've got a bad trend in the country at the moment where you find one company that owns a newspaper, also owns a radio station, and is preparing to own a TV station. Yes. And, and, and this, is, this is not good for media diversity and pl pl pluralism. Yes. Yeah, I forgive. <laughs> pl Plurality. Plural, yeah. Uh, pl yeah. That pl one. That one. Pl pluralism. <laughs> pluralism. There you go. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So, so I think um, obviously there's need for government stakeholders to understand that. Look, you can't have Rupert Murdoch in a small country like Zimbabwe. Where will we get the news? Where will we get different news? <laughs> it's already bad enough. Like if you if you listen to some of the radio stations that are owned by, let's say, Zim Papers or mm. owned uh, and how they push religious content a lot. And and clearly, if they're the only ones, or they have control with newspapers and radio. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they determine what news you should listen to. This is true. And this is not necessarily news that is in the public interest. It, mm -hmm. it might just be news in the religious interest. Mm -hmm. And not all of us are always wanting to hear about prophets so-and-so. Mm. And, and prophets true. who promise to, to heal the sick and mm. become proven. No. It's actually should unproven be allowed. Claims. Yeah. Yes, unproven claims that I can heal HIV. Yeah. And I mean, yes. You'd be rich, the richest person in the world if you, if you could. Wouldn't that be nice, though? With one false swoop of your, one waving of your arm, <laughs> <laughs> I declare yeah. these 13 million people to be HIV free. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
via Quizzy TV. Yeah, yeah, you see? <laughs> yes, I, I agree with you. Wasn't the final analysis, most of these entities seek profit over public interest. Yes. So they're looking for hits, they're looking for viewers. And if profit so-and-so is the one that gets you hits or viewers, hits on the internet or on social media or listeners, mm-hmm. in the case of radio, yeah, you go with it because it makes you make money. It's not in this, It's not about news. It's not about public interest. It's not about serving the public, mm. the democratic public interest. Well, speaking actually of public interest, a number of people on Twitter, you know, took to Twitter to protest Baz's um, refutation of the licensing, and um, the assumption I I think here is that Kwese TV, being a locally owned entity, a locally owned broadcast entity, is that correct? I don't think so. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, got, it's got local ownership. It's got local ownership. Yeah. Some local ownership. Yeah, but I think it's got uh, probably international shareholders yes. and so on, or foreign shareholders. Well, as one structures a big media business, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But in, in terms of then content, because this is really the big issue here, what is the content on Kwese TV? The, we assume that it, this is a good thing for local content producers. But I have not. I have yet to see a move in the market where Kwese has asked for. While they do have local um, talent on the on their channels, they do not necessarily have local content or enough local content for it to be a good argument. I think the the catch with the satellite television, if you're looking at uh, how it functions globally, is is largely about entertainment proper, and entertainment sometimes doesn't have an indigenous or patriotic components. No. People just want to be entertained. I'm, I'm surprised. I don't watch Game of Thrones. What? I just don't. I, Who I, are you? <laughs> but, but the number of people that are interested yeah. in watching Game of Thrones, they would watch a television channel that gives them Game of Thrones. Full mm-hmm. stop. They don't care whether it's coming from South Africa, Zimbabwe. And in any event, our products or our local content will not, will not be able to... Um, to match the, the quality, let alone efficacy of, of global content. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, those that would have been saying local producers would have gained, yeah, eventually. Mm. But remember, Quest TV is a business. Yes. It, it wants to get viewers and it wants to get advertisers. And as soon as it gets advertisers and viewers, it, it needs content that attracts it. That's why right now, it's got NBA. Mm-hmm. Yes, NBA TV Africa. <laughs> and then it's also got the Spanish uh, La Liga. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that they tried, but the DSTV outdid them. It doesn't have the EPL, the English Premier League. No, yeah. which is a big moneymaker across the world. Yeah. Across the world. So, so, so it's, it's not really about patriotism. I mean, yeah, identity is good. Yeah. It's owned, perhaps the majority of it is owned by Zimbabwean. Mm-hmm. Who also owns Econet? Who also owns Liquid? <laughs> who has shares in Econet? Who has shares in Liquid? Who has shares all over the place? But I think the key the, the key issue is to say it's it would have been a good thing, uh, and it still is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But we must be cautious about multimedia ownership and cross media ownership, and how it kills media diversity and uh, pluralism. Got it. Yes, well done. So Chris just came in to join us. <laughs> I don't know. Is this mic working? Yes, yes, that mic okay. is working. Fantastic. Yeah, um, I've I've come in <laughs> in <Hello>. time. <laughs> Hi, Takura, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm alright. How are you doing? Chris? I'm well. I'm well. I don't even know what the conversations are. We're talking about Kwesi TV. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, we were actually talking about local content and uh, whether or not Kwesi would guarantee local content space on their channel. And I, I see. And I said they wouldn't. And he said they wouldn't because profit motive media. Creating Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, I also, I mean, the uh, portfolio seems to be very Africa-centric and Africa-based. So I don't see where uh, specifically local content, Zimbabwean local content on such a platform would get such a, a following, you know, across the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, we consume a lot of foreign content we do. That's that's the first thing. So I think a lot of people would be more interested in foreign content, uh, just generally those who would be able to afford what it is. And then secondly, Zimbabwe is a very small country. Um, in terms of creating something unique or in terms of uniquely Zimbabwean, I don't think we have a, uh, a niche that we can exploit and export 
um, Nollywood, for example, Nigeria is very different to anything we do here or what we produce, I'd say, in the media right now. Mm -hmm. I think there's room for, you know, things to change and there's uh, elements of our art that we can, indigenous elements of our art that we can export, but we're not doing so currently. But Uh, wouldn't you say that the reason why we have not yet found our niche is because we do not yet have a channel for creating that niche? to test content, try it out, see what resonates with audiences and reiterate and reiterate and reiterate. Yeah, I think I think the, the need for platforms is definitely there. And the platform we have now, um, aside from the fact that it won't pay you to do anything on ZBC, um, the arts industry has suffered quite a lot as an industry yes. um, on the whole. And no one seems to be doing anything to, to promote it Um or provide platforms. There's digitization coming. It's been coming for the past, I don't know how many years. Maybe when that comes and there's more channels, then somebody would focus on that area and give uh, our arts industry uh, creators a platform. But as things stand, if it, if people ask me, Kwese, was it that was that to be the one? I don't think so. I think really they have other products they can take to other countries mm-hmm. and bigger markets that they can service. East African bloc, uh, the West African bloc, you know, is is much huger than the 14, however million people there are here. And even when it comes to SADC itself, we are not uniquely positioned to bring out content, I think, that would wow SADC. Mm. You know, it would look very much like what's happening in South Africa, mm-hmm. or it would look like, you know, very much it's happening elsewhere. So, mm. yeah. Well, to be fair, Kwese is already operational in, I believe, three SADC countries, including Botswana and Zambia. So I and Kenya, I think. And Kenya, there yeah. you go. Well, Kenya is East Africa. Well, East Africa, yeah. yeah. So I don't necessarily think that Zimbabwe is the the you know the market that's going to make or break the channel, and it will just as Econet itself did. It will continue to outgrow this particular market, and it will outlive and outexist. To be fair, though, I think it's necessary to have it. Yeah, competition is always good. I believe in competition, and you know, ZBC has allowed, been allowed to get to where it is because it really has no competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't count DSTV because, uh, you know, in terms of national, whilst a lot of people do have it, ZBC is really into, within the borders. The only um, it's competing against itself, which is yes. funny when Zamps gives its <laughs> funny awards and things like that because at the end of the day in Divoleka. Yeah, but, but when you're looking at ZBC, um, it's an interesting debate because ZBC is not just a station because it's not private. Mm-hmm. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's public or mm-hmm. it should be public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only problem is how it's, with it is how it's governed. Essentially, ZBC is modeled around the BBC. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be a public service broadcaster. Yes. Where you pay, and I hope you guys do if you have TVs. TV licenses <laughs> all the time. Can't drive without one. Can't, can't travel through the streets. Even for my phone. I have one. But, but yeah, <laughs> the, the only problem is that it's not accountable. Yes. It should actually be supporting artists. It should be supporting local content and paying for it. Mm-hmm. And it should be um, something that actually covers everybody fairly. Its, it's primary purpose is not to fu- would not be to function for profit. It will be for the public interest. A private station, on the other hand, whilst it is serving the ethical, journalistic, access to information role that it should actually play in society, should pursue profit. Mm. The problem that is emerging is that, A, we are not making ZBC accountable, though we are now constitutionally obliged to pay our television and listeners' licenses. (laughs) The constitutional court said you have to pay. Without accountability. How, How do you make it accountable? Well, you reform it legally. Oh. ZBC is established by an act of parliament. The BAS? No, no the Zimbabwe Broadcasting oh, Corporation I'm Act. I'm just ignorant. It's formerly the Rhodesia Broadcasting Corporation. And then it was sort of commercialized. It was split into some units by the ZBC Commercialization Act, which are then now called uh, what you guys call strategic business units, SBUs. Oh, which created Transmedia, Zimbabwe Broadcasting Holdings, and ZB. You see? There you go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm just a pretty face. So you, have to re- <laughs> <laughs> so you have to revise that sort of process yeah. and, 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 and look at best practice. What I do know for a fact 
uh, in terms of, okay, not a fact, an opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do feel uh, personally is that we require and need a public service broadcaster. Yes. Um, that serves the public interest. Because not everyone, as, as, as was alluded to, can afford a decoder. Mm-hmm. And, and in any event, we subsidize the BC, both by way of taxes and by way of license, uh, listeners, list, uh, TV. Listenership. TV and viewership. Listener license, license. TV and listeners licenses. Yes. The ones that get people to knock on your door uh, and ask you if you have paid. You can get arrested for not paying. <laughs> so we have to we have to try and push ZBC to be transformed. And I know some organizations that have been doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. Media Institute of Southern Africa, Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. um, trying to get it to change, media monitors, mm-hmm. and so on. But it's more an advocacy thing that doesn't have that much public support. No. But to use South African parlance, ZBC is very much a captured institution um, by the, the, the governing party of, or the, the state, rather. Um, how do you combat that? Because there's a lot of resistance. I mean, there's, there's a lot of advocacy to, you know, for, for change in different areas. If you look at ZEC and what people are trying to do there and different sort of institutions that the state is controlling, how do you actually get it to, to work? Well, first of all, you don't give up. Okay. <laughs> That's, okay. You, you keep pushing. But Takura, to be you, fair, you, since you, 2008, I think, um, Misa has been running a Free the Airwaves campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's, it's, or, 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 it's, it's almost like this. Uh, mm. When you look at the new constitution, it didn't actually say there should be media freedom in Zimbabwe. No. It now says so. Yes. So you've got a culmination of various actors, I mean, actions as led by various actors that at least get some concessions from the state. That's why I said the first thing is you don't give up. Mm. It's not a fallen battle. But the key thing to understand is your context. The most listened to radio station in Zimbabwe is Radio Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Facts. The only problem is its content. The government is not going to let go of its most listened to radio station. Mm -hmm. But it can be persuaded in part to cover gender issues much more, to be less about entertainment and more about news, documentaries, features, and so on and so on. And this also talks to the content producer, the the local artist, the the local filmmaker, that some of these things, if you get involved in them, not to be too opportunistic all the time, to have some sort of principle to say, look, by the by, my work, sometimes I don't get paid, sometimes I get paid, but the public interest will also get me eventually to a place where I get paid. And I know that the comparisons between ZBC and SABC, um, um, the difference is that SABC uh, is relatively new. Uh, ZBC has been, to use your word, captured (laughs) (laughs) for for 37 years. In fact, if if we go back to even Rhodesia itself, Mm. ZBC was captured by the government, but it was a white minority government. True. But within the context of the white minority, there would be at least a public role that RBC would, would have played some public role. Mm-hmm. So I think what we must do is to reclaim, again, uh, to counter capturing. <laughs> <laughs> we must reclaim ZBC. Uh-huh. Uh, but be wary of the fact that the public service broadcaster, which ZBC should become, um, should not be allowed to be a monopoly. So there should also be other players that are allowed to, to be in the industry that are private. But then be wary of the fact that there are some rich persons that can own radio, televisions, and newspapers all at once. And they can determine the greater news content. And they can determine just by news content who your president can be. Mm. Isn't that why we encourage plurality? Yeah, yes, exactly. I got it right. And, the, and, that's why, and that's why our government doesn't want plurality of media. because. <laughs> but at this point, though, at this point with the entry of Aquese TV, which may or may not be licensed in the short to medium the, that's, future. That's not happening until at least after the elections. Of course, obviously. But with the entry of Kwese TV, you have an array of, of newspapers because this is about the media space in general. I think when you now have a concentration of, as Takura rightly says, a concentration of voice in one entity's hand, it's a very dangerous um, state of affairs for any country, for any group yeah. of citizens. Sure, sure. So, yes, to counter that sort of um, hold on but I think as we proceed, they may not, the government may not have a choice but to relinquish some of the control over the state media's voice because they need to then counter capitalism 
for instance, which is in direct <laughs> contrast to the ideology, the establishment ideology. Oh, the establishment is ours. Well, I mean, they're personally capitalist, but publicly socialist. No, they they're, they're actually capitalist. They're state capitalist. Oh. If, if I can explain what that means. Yes, please. Uh, our government uh, officially, mm -hmm. even if you look at the blueprint, Zimasset, they're following a state capitalist model, which is similar to the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. The state invests in the state, yes, but makes a profit. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, sort of like uh, outsources some of the functions. So state departments or state uh, entities are run like businesses, but for the state, but also run by a few, mm -hmm. and, and, and an elite few. So I'll give you an example of um, local government. One of the startling things about local government at the moment is how urban la I mean, land, which was for farming, is being turned into urban land. Mm -hmm. But you have a state corporation, which is called Urban Development Corporation, mm -hmm. which works in tandem with private players to expand urban land usage, housing, and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And then you now have this term called land barons. And invariably, a majority of them are linked to the ruling establishment. Right. So that's state capitalism. Mm -hmm. They don't hide that. No. The, the, well, they actually don't. Um, if you look at uh, diamond mining, mm -hmm. the state goes to Chiazwa, where has a number of companies and some of them with military involvement in the public, publicly state. So they make a profit. Then the state says, we can't find 15 billion. We don't know what happened. <laughs> but eventually what they then do is they renationalize mm -hmm. uh, Chiazwa diamond mining fields. But they don't tell you where exactly the mining is go the money is going and so on. This is true. So so what you have is an opaque uh, system in which an elite few uh, linked strongly to the state mm. are benefiting, but are running it as if it's an efficient business. As if is is I think the operative uh, statement there. As if it's an efficient business business. So what what's the in your opinion what's the what's the counter to that? What needs to be done because it's not efficient. They run it as if it is, but it's generally not an efficient. Though, I mean, in, in the case of China, you could say that it has worked for them. Where are the steps? If that is the model that this government chooses to go with if they are re-elected next year, uh, which is likely, how do you fix it? How do you get a system that is actually efficient, that actually works, and that benefits the general populace? Yeah, well, you need to counter that narrative. Um, what we have in Zimbabwe is too much of, uh, of everybody trying to be an entrepreneur, but using politics as a stepping stone. And that normally limits accountability. So we have to stop the opaque and dangerous relationship between the state and private individuals who do not want to serve the public interest. What they intend to do is to serve um, their own profit motive, motives. What you must do in countering it is you must have people-centered policies. Like I said earlier uh, with Upeni, that... You must have a state in which everybody gets a fair chance or fair start, mm -hmm. where everybody gets access to education, health, transport, basic, almost a Scandinavian model, uh, Scandinavian, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, mm -hmm. sort of economic models which are social democratic, where you allow everybody to at least get the basics of, of life, and then you allow everybody to be innovative and, and inventive, and you allow entrepreneurship that is based on good and sound business ethics. Because if you mix the two up, uh, politics and, 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 and economics, especially uh, as our government is doing now, you, you create a, an, an oligarchy. Yes. A, a big word there, but it's normally <laughs> used for Russia. People are all <laughs> foot, football clubs. But it's, it's, it's now a, a tendency across, across the global south where you have, like we're discussing Dos Santos and yes. his family, mm. uh, Nguema uh, in Equatorial Guinea and his, and his family. So you have these political elites who run almost everything. Mm -hmm. Dos Santos' daughter is the chief executive of Sonangol. Yes. And, and, and that basically is a state-owned oil company. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to embark on a counter-narrative that says to the state, we don't want state capitalism. We want social democracy. We want the state not to privatize everything. We don't trust your businesses because you're privatizing for example, electricity via dubious characters who, who can sponsor teams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, there was a story. So, so we have an oligarchy. <laughs> we have, in essence. I think you said yes. what, what, we, what we have emerging is, is not necessarily an oligarchy in the, in the Russian or Chinese sense. I think more a mafia. But you yes. see, at the, 
the question still remains, what is it that can be done? I mean, it's it's great to know what should be done, but how do you get it to that state where you have uh, social democracy, where you have the bare minute, basic minimums being provided, the education, the health, uh, the entrepreneurship? How do you change the culture? Because it's become very... Uh, Mafioso? No, very entrenched, yeah. you know? Yeah. You, you have songs about you know, the Wicknells, the Chiangwas on radio, which shows that there's a, there's, a, there's a group of people, the young people making those songs, who aspire to be those people in a way. And that's the kind of culture that exists right now. You hear people talking about Andrita Shema Didi, and some of them actually make some money out of it. And I, I don't see whether they, how to change that culture within society or what needs to be done rather. I can see that that it can be changed, but what steps need to be taken by the ordinary citizen to ensure that it actually happens? Well, first of all, people need to talk about it, mm-hmm. like we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, first, and secondly, people need to understand their own society. And they need to value their society, both in terms of their individuality as well as a, as a collective. Um, what, we, what I have learned over the last uh, three or four, four years of my activism is that there's an increasing disdain for context. A lot of us want to mimic um, what we see happening in South Africa, in the global north, especially the young, young Zimbabwean comrades. And it's a, very, it's a materialistic uh, uh, culture and tendency, which has been fostered by poverty. Mm-hmm. So somebody will aspire to be a weak nail, but he has no political connection. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he analyze, or she will analyze, is to get a political connection. Yes. So you have to counter that sort of uh, understanding of what is ambition. And this begins by talking about it and organizing, uh, whether you're at church. It's, it's, you, you can't take everything that you read from John Maxwell. John C. What's John C. Maxwell. Yeah, or who wrote the other one about 48 Laws of Power? Um, <laughs> Robert, 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 someone, Robert Green? Kiyosaki. Um, no, no, no. no, no yeah, it was Green. Yeah, was someone Green. green. Yeah. yeah. So what we have is a, a lot of knowledge that is being produced that lacks context. Mm-hmm. So someone will know more about uh, Man than they will know, let's say, about a local <laughs> artist. Or the music will mimic, like you, the new music now, it's largely a mimicry of Jamaican dance or in a mixture of um, hip-hop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To the detriment, in most cases, of people that are able to play the mbira, the drums, and so on. Right. So we definitely need a culture in which we start talking more about what's really happening in our own society and applying it to context and creating knowledge around context. Talking about, if, if you're going to watch Game of Thrones, at least in your mind, think about a, a film or a, a TV series about Great Zimbabwe or about Matopos, you know, that sort of thing, or, or Kami Ruins. What was happening? You have script writers to that effect so that young people also understand. Because Game of Thrones is essentially medieval European history. It is. Yeah, and mythology. Mm-hmm. And we also have a lot of that here, but we're not going to produce it. So we need to come to the narratives by debating it. Mm-hmm. actioning it, uh, like if you're going to do a charity event, you're not doing it because uh, you went to the Comrades Marathon. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> also, I have a, a marathon that runs through Zwarasegwa, for example. So There's people, the Vic Falls Marathon. Uh, no, that's Vic Falls. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> that's, you know, those falls are ours, despite <laughs> yeah. what Southern <laughs> You just call them Vic Falls anyway. <laughs> Sorry, no, but like Moso he's... Zwarasegwa yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would be... No, 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 I, I, I hear that, yeah. actually, yeah, makes, makes a lot of sense. But also, I think I would add to what Takura is saying, you have to create the spaces where those things happen. It's not, it's not enough to just talk about it, the space where those things happen. Yeah, like, like what you guys are doing now yeah. with, with this podcast, it's amazing. I, when, I, when I got the invite, and I said, yeah, if, <laughs> if someone wants to talk, and they're doing this out of their own initiative, mm. and of course, there's need for, like, to balance the books, et cetera, et cetera. But the motivation for me to come here is because I recognize the effort. I mean, I, I turn down interviews sometimes and say, look, I, I've heard. Is, I, there's, there's nothing to talk about. Why, are you asking me about grace? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so, so we need to support each other mm-hmm. uh, and for free, for that matter. Huh? Uh, whatever platforms are there, whether you're a blogger, whether you're a podcaster like you guys, <laughs> podcasts or vlogger. Take yes. your pick. We, we need to support each other. But at the same time, we have to be ethical about it. Uh, we have to be somewhat accountable about it mm-hmm. and, and pursue, in part, whilst pursuing profit and private uh, issues, pursue the public interest. Then we start countering narratives that have no value, that are materialistic. 
such as the ones we are have to, having to deal with uh, today. <laughs> what was yes. on the What was on the topic list? Um, MDC Finance is next. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, is that of that's of public interest. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, very that's much so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's of public interest. So the background is that um, a few a month or so ago, the MDC uh, came together. A couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago. Okay. The MDC, all the various MDCs came together uh, to form a coalition. Um, unfortunately, and other parties as and well. And other parties as yeah. well, my bad. Um, to form a coalition. Unfortunately, Mike Kupe, uh, Bebe, and Moyo were not present. And subsequent to the alliance being formed and the signing ceremony being held, some youths traveled from Harare to Blawayo and the three aforementioned were beaten up by said youths. Now, there's been a lot of rumor and speculation about who sent the youths, including, and, you know, it has been posited that the principal of the MDCT has, was the one who sent the youths as punishment for them not coming to support the alliance. Within the MDC itself, there's been debate about the alliance itself, whether it's a viable entity and who gets lost, who gets a piece of the pie. Um, after uh, my coupe was, was assaulted, uh, the principal of the MDC, Morgan Shangirai, suspended two of his senior officials. And it is also, I think, on the cards, he is supposed to tour Blaio or the lower half, that region of the country. Um, I don't know. What is your take on this? Topic? So before you um, uh-huh. give comment, uh, okay. the MDC released a statement today on okay. that issue. Um, uh, in, sh- in summary, um, Suspended uh, Deputy National Spokesperson Tabitha Kumalo has been reinstated. Uh, she's been exonerated from involvement. Um, Deputy Treasurer Charlton Wendes remains suspended for his statements. I think straight afterwards he said something about um, those who aren't in line with the coalition or something to that effect will, the youths are angry and those who aren't with us will get, you know, um, will those who get feel in the, the way, those yeah, those who get in the way, or something like that, yeah. and so he's been still suspended. Uh, Adbenigo Bebe uh, is suspended um, for his statements after what took place, statements to the press, and there's a disciplinary um, hearing that he'll go through. And then the youths who are involved, including the Nat- deputy national youth chairperson Shakespeare Mukoi remain suspended and their issue as well is going to go to the um, disciplinary committee for, for actioning. So yeah, um, Takura, I don't know. Uh, well, I think uh, on, on, on the internal violence of the, of the MDCT, um, it's regrettable. Um, and one of the things that uh, is always interesting about opposition parties is how they mimic their rival. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's actually there are a lot of books about mimicry, uh, particularly one by Homi Baba, called "Of Mimicry and Men," and I would advise uh, the opposition leaders to read that, because sometimes you tend to then copy the habits and tendencies of those that you are trying to get out of power, like amending constitutions for life presidency, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's there's actually an interesting article I read yesterday by. Uh, Leslie Mdimo, she's a postgrad student at UCT, and uh, she wrote about how the MDC is morphing into a version of ZANU PF. The factionalism, the violence, the long term presidency, and all these things that, that you know, yeah, that they've done. Exactly. And, and well done to her for pointing it out. Uh, please send me a link of. I will do so. Yeah, yeah, I'll do so. So I can also check it out. I hope it's not paid for. <laughs> I don't, I don't, don't you hate those? I hate those. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And then you have to. Yeah, you, have to, you have to be a student sometimes to get yeah. some, of the, some yeah. of the good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think the, it's, it's, it's worrying that straight after there were comments like that from Wende, though a lot of people within the, a number of people within the MDC have dismissed him, both supporters of the MDC and in the administration and this uh, suspension goes to show that you know it's not in line with what some people think um and then there's also the fact that i mentioned this the last time i think that you know that um uh, Togosani Kupi was not at the alliance and it's it's 
it's been a trend. She was not at any of the MOU signings. So it clearly shows that within the leadership of the MDC itself, there is disharmony and disunity, especially over this issue of the coalition. And now for the youths, especially to be up and actioning violence, it shows how volatile the situation is. But is it new for the youths to be actioning? This is in, since, I would argue, 2005, 2008. Yeah. It's a trend, but as Takura rightly says, it's a mimicry of what ZANU-PF's tools in trade but yeah, and, and just to add to that, um, on on the mimicry part, is is the rise of ethnocentric uh, yes. politics and fiefdoms. Like when you say uh, Comrade Cooper didn't attend uh, the alliance uh, signings or MOU, MOU signings, mm-hmm. the main reason is is largely because there are issues around fiefdoms, mm-hmm. uh, provinces. Uh, you know, I'm the king. I'm, yeah, 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 let's call them regions. Yeah, I'm the one who is in charge of this region. I'm a kingmaker. And even where you have people that attended uh, the alliance uh, rally or, or signings, they're also fighting about seats. Uh, yes. And, yeah, the, and, yeah. the, and the fights about seats are about, this is my stronghold. Give us so many seats in Blaha if we're PDP. Or give us um, so many seats in Mashingo if we are National People's Party. I mean, clearly, there are, there are assumptions of ethnocentricity mm-hmm. to, the, to the politics. And this, again, is similar to the rulings and the PF party, you know, fifth domes and so on. So doesn't this give to, you know, those who have refused to join the coalition and um, Kosana Moya is one of them, um, give credence to what they say, that this is just, you know, it's pie in the sky sort of. It, it won't hold because it's not being formed on anything, on true values, on no. something that, you know, will, will, no, 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 will no, no, be no. lasting. No, I think uh, Comrade Moya would be naive to say that. Largely because it's part of our political culture. It's not preferred, mm. but it's part of our political reality. Uh, and uh, so ethnic identity has always sort of played itself out in grassroots Zimbabwean politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, that sort of. So, because our politics has come from such a bad place in terms of political culture and violence, it will take a bit longer to sort of get rid of it. And the issue is what do you utilize it for? Um, identity in it, in and of itself, according to Maspulas, a late uh, academic uh, whose work is still available if you Google him. Um, ethnic identity is not necessarily inimical for, to democracy. It's how it's managed. But where you go acerbic and start trying to create fiefdoms and trying to exclude others on the basis of ethnicity, it's not progressive. So you may have a fair point, Kosana uh, Moy, but in terms of Real, reality, he has to contend with grassroots perceptions. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think the coalition will hold in its current state, or will you know? Will the coalition will not hold in its uh, broad state, mm-hmm. it, but it, there will still be a coalition of sorts by the time we get to elections. Okay. Uh, the main reason is because they'll fight over allocation of seats. Yeah. I'm actually preparing something on um, on. My shock at the fact that these comrades don't understand where power resides in, in either coalitions or even political parties. It's in local government. They should not be talking about sharing parliamentary seats if they're talking about coalitions. They should be talking about sharing local government seats. Okay. Explain further. We will read when it's out, but maybe, <laughs> maybe you want to just, you know, say, I, I, com- I have the same sentiment. I think for me as well that the, the, the uh, presidential election is one which um, you know is is it's, in, it's yeah it's a bit it's a lot more inconsequential to the parliamentary one in terms of making sure that we have a balanced parliament so ZANU-PF doesn't get a super majority and that's because we don't need them changing the laws yeah. yes changing the constitution as and when they see fit and also that the fact that local government is critical to when rubbish gets collected um, you know, a lot of service delivery where people actually live and spend their five years between one election to the next. But does MDC, given its current track record with local government, does it stand a chance Yeah, in, in urban, that particular... In, in urban areas, it always stands a chance. You, you, my, given the state of service delivery? Yes. yes. Really? Yes. My, but my issue is then, is that also... Within I'm not the voting MDC. <laughs> That's what I want you. Your to vote know. is supposed to be your secret. Well, you know what? I'm going to come out right and say it. I'm not voting MDC. Oh, but, but let me explain the point I was, I was yeah, making. Yeah. yeah. 
in fact, um, it's a very interesting development. Um, in Zimbabwe, we vote for five positions every harmonized election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are five. I think if I got one wrong, I'll, I'll do a count. First, it's uh, local government. Mm-hmm. Second, it's House of Assembly. Yes. Third, it's um, na- uh, Senate. Yes. By proportional Senate. representation. Mm-hmm. And then fourth, it's uh, Women's Assembly, uh, House of Assembly, Women's Representative by proportional representation. Mm-hmm. And then fifth, it's uh, President. The one that manages to win and field candidates at local government or the wards, because the general assumption is this is one campaign team. But it's not usually. It is. And I'll give you an example. When Joyce Mjuru was still vice president of the country, mm-hmm. it was 2013, the main campaign phrase, this was after the new constitution had been, had been passed, was upon, upon, if you recall. Mainly because of the previous election, where there was an assumption that there was, uh, in quotation marks, Boram Sangu yes. politics within yes. the ruling party. Mm. So the upon upon philosophy or approach, which I first heard from Joyce Mjuru, uh, now she's fired. I don't know if she'll, she'll use it again, but um, in her own party. Upon upon basically means the votes of the councillor, the votes of the MP, the, to the two proportionals are not so important, but they must tally with, the, with those of the president. Ah. In fact, they must be, if need be, they must be less than those of the president in the ward and in the constituency. Mm-hmm. And this is the approach that Zanupiv is going to take into an election. And this is why local government is key. Because the local government councillor is the one who mobilizes if he or she especially has won the primary election. They need to win. But in order for them to win, they cannot win alone. Mm-hmm. The MP also needs to mobilize and win, but in order for that win and victory to be recognized in the ruling in the ruling party, the president must also win in the constituency. And this is the mathematics of it. So if you dismiss local government, say, "Ah, oh, we're fighting for parliament," ah, you're fighting in the wrong arena. You, you need to fight in local government. That's that's an interesting analysis. First, I've heard of it. Yeah, and, and it it makes sense. It actually makes sense because you know, the you build the blocks. It's like. Uh, a pyramid. Uh, a puzzle. Yeah. You know, you, you start in one corner and the more you build the blocks, then you've got a, a whole thing coming together. So it makes sense. Yeah. Like, for example, do you know that uh, the last time, um, in 2013, mm-hmm. um, it was only Zanu PF that had council candidates in almost all of the world. Almost all. Hmm. Almost all except a couple in, I think, in Matibane, North or South. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that pointed to the math. The opposition did not have council candidates in a majority, in, in a significant number of wards, particularly in rural constituencies. Mm-hmm. So you'd you'd have elections announced, results announced a day after nomination court, because <laughs> because there's one candidate, there's one candidate uh, running so, in that space. So then, does the fight over seats, given upon upon, make sense? Because Theoretically, if there was a coalition, if there was a super coalition, they could afford to field candidates across the entire country yeah, as a coalition. But they don't have enough people. Some of the coalition partners don't have people that would represent them in Slobela, what, whatever. For instance. Yeah. In Che So then yeah. for the coalition, <laughs> for the opposition coalition, the issue is now the urban councils. Largely. Uh, that is, but, they, but they're not talking, the point is they're not talking about... Uh, about local government. They're talking about parliament. Parliament, yeah. And this also includes, so it's the three things in parliament. It's the directly elected MP, the, the proportional, proportional representation, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the Senate. Mm-hmm. Senate is also by proportion, mm-hmm. except for the chiefs, or the chief, uh, the chief's representatives and those that are appointed by the president. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so inter- just, yeah. in, in, interestingly enough, actually, those proportional representation, if you take away those seats and when we're looking at uh, when ZANU-PF amended the constitution, and I don't have the figures in front of me, but if you take away those seats and then you add the seats that the MDC gave up when they booted out Anabiti, then it, it creates a sort of... Uh, ZANU-PF doesn't get that 66%. Mm-hmm. But once you include the seats from proportional representation, they shoot over the, the 66 I think they had 60%. But then those seats change them and put them over sixty-seven percent or something like that. Yeah, so those seats are very, whilst yeah, those seats are very important in changing the balance of power. of power within within parliament. 
Yeah, but you voted for for the constitution, so. No, no, no. The, which is no, which gives credence to what you're saying yeah, in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah, yeah. in terms of um going out and voting, you know, in in the the upon upon approach. Because if you voted for the councillor and you voted for the member of parliament, at some point, um, those the percentage of the votes gives credence to the proportional representation because exactly. right. they they just literally divide however many um, um what you call yeah. it uh, percentage of the votes you got and the number available. So it's it's very important. Uh, you got you got an A in maths. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to come back to the issue of local governance and particularly in terms of giving power back to the people because I'm an activist too sometimes. Okay. Um and because I was watching a talk by Eric Liu. Any are you familiar with Eric Liu? Uh, no. He he gave a TED talk a while ago. TED right. A while ago, called um, "You Have More Power Than You Think." He's written a book about this, and it's about citizenship and the power of citizens. And he says that, um, unlike the thinking the world over, that the power comes from parliament, it actually comes from local government. And the reason why people have power is because in local government, you're more likely to know your ward councillor than you are to know your parliamentarian, Correct. and you are more able to hold your councillor accountable to you personally than you can a parliamentarian. So, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point, um, particularly in the, the global north. Mm-hmm. Local council is pretty much well known because they have local TV, local papers, even community radio yes. stations. Where you, in Zimbabwe's case, uh, very few people know their councillors. So, how that's are we true. voting for these people by party? By party. Yes, by party. Yeah. That's 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 the way it is. Oh, yeah, um, it's um. It's something that can be worked upon if you have community radio, community media. Mm-hmm. That's why I keep talking about the public interest dimension of media, mm-hmm. as opposed to, as opposed to the profit motive only of media. Mm-hmm. In order to counter the materialism, the ignorance, you need to actually have media that has a public interest role. Mm-hmm. If, in fact, you should actually know the shadow counselor, and not just the actual counselor, mm-hmm. as, as is the case. Mm-hmm. But uh, what is even more interesting. Um, when you're talking about citizenship, I, I actually it struck my mind a little bit, in my mind a little bit, a chord. And that when we talk about citizens and citizenship, we should be careful to remember that we're not all the same citizens. No. That is one of the key problems with the way it's being up, up addressed or utilized in Zim, is that it forgets the class dimension. Mm. That those that would largely claim to be citizens, citizens and, you know, getting angry sometimes on the streets and so on, um, forget that there are other citizens who don't actually share the same interests that they do. Mm-hmm. And that we need to bridge that gap, which is predicated on class or even place of residency. Mm-hmm. You know, north or south of Samora, that sort of thing. If you're talking about Arari, I'm, I'm not sure which cities you talk about if you're talking about Blues and Mutare and Mashingo. Um, but yeah, mm. there's always mm. that. There's always a dividing line yeah. somewhere. So, so I think being, in order to also like uh, get a bit more civic action, uh, national consciousness, progressive consciousness, we need to take into account that if we have shared interests, they must actually be shared. Um, so we can't say no. Uh, we have smart meters for water. In 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 um, which way did they experiment with this? Some way in a ghetto, some way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, perhaps we say no. In Bordeaux, we'll wait. <laughs> Until like a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, agree. No, I completely agree. But here's the thing. I agree that potholes are not an issue for all of us. Yeah, because we don't drive cars all of us. Exactly. But I disagree that my local council clinic, because I'm a mom, so I had to go to the local council clinic for my son's immunizations. Right? I could have paid the money to go to a private doctor, but who wants to do that all the time? So I disagree that the local council clinic, which is a local governance issue, is not an issue for all of us. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you had an option. True. Yeah, I that's just chose the, not to exercise yeah, it. That's, that's, that's the difference. Mm. That, and that's where the, the, the dimension comes in. Mm-hmm. The people that don't have that option. Yes. So, for example, if you fall sick um, in body, you go to the local clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got TB, they refer you to the British, British Infectious, Road, yeah. Infectious Diseases Hospital. Yeah which essentially is very colonial in approach and style, mm-hmm. but it's what, what is there for ghetto. <laughs> Just go there. Yeah. yeah. And then if British decides, no, look, this is too serious, uh, you get sent to what was formerly a black people's only hospital, which is Harare, 
hospital. Oh. And uh, uh, if you're lucky and maybe your relatives have a bit of, a bit of money, you might go to, I think it's called the C-section in Parangatwa. Mm-hmm. There's a DOC section, which is mm. pretty much uh, like a private place. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, but if you don't have money, I'll look. Essentially, you're going to die. You're in general mode, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> mm. and, and it's something that people should talk about a bit more when we say, oh, so-and-so died, so-and-so died. Mm. Sometimes it's not because they actually couldn't be saved. It's because they went to the wrong place. Or they didn't or have they, money. They didn't have, they money, didn't to, have money to, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm looking at the time, and oh. this is the first time that I can, I'm sitting... I'm not sitting in my usual Opposite. seat. Opposite, yes. Yeah. I am in Chris's chair today. <laughs> so uh-huh. I, I don't know. Um, I think that that's a whole other topic, actually, that we yeah. can discuss, um, and we should at some point. But um, yeah, you 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 are the one running you the show to today. Sign off. I don't. Yeah. Um, you should have heard me sign in. It was awful. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it was nice. Right? Uh, I'll get I'll get to listen to it when when I when I listen later. Um, Takura, where can people find you online? Takura Jangaja, Takura dash Jangaja dot blogspot dot com or at Takura Jangaja Twitter. Okay. Right. Or if you're gonna try Facebook, it's Takura Z. There is a Facebook account that is a as my full name. I didn't create it. I, I have a fan somewhere who created it on my behalf. <laughs> but my Facebook username is Takura Z. Alright, cool. You um, should be flattered you have fans who are willing to do that for you. I uh, know. <laughs> is it a fan or a troll? I'm not sure, but uh I'm used to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you can find me online at Chris Charamba, all social media. You can find me online, Upenyu Makoni, at Upenyu Makoni on all social media. Thank you for joining us today. I'm not going to sign off like the boys <laughs> because I am not the boys, but join us next time for yeah, our next um, podcast. Politics and Beyond on Capital <laughs> 263. Free to say it, free, free to, to do, do it. it. And now. And now. Capital 263.